You're listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. In this week's final lesson, Keys to Financial Freedom, freedom in Christ is for all who surrender themselves wholly to God, giving him the reins of their life, trusting fully in his supply. We hope you enjoy today's teaching and please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk where you can study our past modules, see our future modules and see the other ministries we have to offer. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. And now over to Philip Edwards for today's teaching. Welcome to our fourth week on uh, financial freedom where we'll be looking at some key principles uh, to just keep us in check regarding uh, our giving, our receiving. So let's just pray before we start this evening. Heavenly Father, we just come again and commit ourselves to you that you would speak and uh, make clear to us the truth from your word. Lord, we love you and we want to love you more. We want to be obedient and we know that through obedience we express our love to you. So help us, we pray that we might clearly understand in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at some principles uh, that we live by that will help us live in freedom. If we violate some of these important principles, we'll never live in freedom. So by the time we get to the end of this evening, we'll have uh, these understood that they help us. Probably the most overriding principle that I want to set out before we uh, look at this evening's uh, material uh, is the principle uh, that we must not forget it is God who provides everything for us. So if he makes this person wealthy and this person not so wealthy, that's God's provision. That's what God has done. He has set that up. You could have been born here and he could have been born there. You might have been born into a richer family or a poorer family. So what we've got to do is is settle for the idea that I accept my position and where I am and what I have and I accept what other people have. We don't all have the same. We never will. Even if we sort it all out and gave everyone the same, it wouldn't take very long before there were differences amongst us for all sorts of reasons. But God hasn't created a world like that. He's created a world with differences. But what he's done, he's given us the ability, all of us, to produce the wealth that we need to live and to live in a way that he has called us to live, to fulfil the callings on our life. In Deuteronomy 8, in verses 1, then 17 and 18, it says this, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. And it goes on to say, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God has gifted each one of us with different abilities, different positions in life, where we can produce the wealth that's necessary to sustain ourselves and to do the work that God has called us to do. 
God wants us to be successful. We looked at that verse in uh, John's third epistle. Uh, it's just one chapter and it's the second verse. It sounds like a salutation, but he says something like this, I pray all that goes well with you. And uh, people say, oh, we can't read anything into that. Well, I don't think we can say that about any scriptures. If the Holy Spirit has penned this, he's penned the very will of God, and the will of God is that we prosper. It's not that we're, he doesn't enjoy it when we're not well, he doesn't enjoy it when we're not prospering. So God wants us to prosper, not to be rich, but as we move through life in the station of which he's placed us, we know the blessing and the prosperity of God in our lives. Now, with success, there is a danger of something else creeping into our lives. That is pride. So it's a sort of an internal battle. We want to succeed, but when we succeed, the fallen nature becomes prideful of, of its success. So whether that's financially or things that we achieve or positions that we rise to, God wants to prosper us because we become full of pride. So pride is one of these principles that we have to protect ourselves against. Pride brings bondage. The Word of God says it. Humility brings liberty and freedom and blessing. James tells us this, doesn't he, in 4 and 6. He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if we walk in pride financially it might be one of the ways that God resists us. If we walk in humility, the blessing and the grace of God might be that he prospers us. So we have to be careful with these things. In our study of Daniel that we did just a few months ago now, we learnt of someone who became very proudful. I'll just remind you of that. It was, of course, Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to what it says in Daniel 4, 30 and 33. He's saying, speaking of himself, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? It's like, ah, you couldn't make a more prideful sentence. Like, he thought he had done it all. No, he was born into that position. He, he never did it. God had created this powerful nation for his own purposes. It was an evil nation. He never created the evil, but he allowed that to happen so that he could use it against his people where necessary, and he could use it as an example of all things that are evil. But he sees something in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that he had within him the ability to change, to humble himself. Oh, could he humble himself? The word of God says that we are to humble ourselves. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Oh, if you don't humble yourself and God really loves you, then he will humble you, which you don't want. And so we get this tremendous example here where he could see potential in Nebuchadnezzar. He gave him a year to humble himself. We know that as we remember studying that. He refused to humble himself. And this day as he was walking around the parapets of his palace and he's sounding all this off, God says, that's it then, let's do it now. And now we know then how he turns into basically a wild animal. He has to run and live amongst the forests and, and the animals and things and uh, his hair all grows like, it looks like eagle's feathers, it says, and his 
the thing grows with talons. For seven years, God humbles this man. And at the end of that seven-year period, we read this in Daniel 4 and 37. Now I, he says, I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. What a change. Well, we don't want to end up being humbled by God because it doesn't look like a very pleasant experience. So I recommend that if God is causing us to be successful or even financially in a good position or we get promotion or we're well liked, we walk in this humble way because God is only too ready to take it away from us for our blessing. I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, he says, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. What an amazing thing to say. He made him live like an animal away from people for all those years. And he says, this God has done something that's perfect and just and right. How humble can you be? He's just simply accepting what God has done. And he says this, And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I know this because he did it to me. So that's a, an important principle there. See, I hope I'm not setting you too many things that you have to live by, but, but really to enjoy the blessing and the prosperity of God, we have to walk in his principles and there seems to be quite a lot of them. Um, I was teaching the other day about the New Testament and the things that the Lord has commanded us to do. Uh, uh, there's over a thousand things that Jesus has commanded us to do in the New Testament. You go, really? Really? Uh, they might look like suggestions or recommendations or what he would desire, but they really, because they come from the lips of Jesus, they're really commands, aren't they? And he said, if we love him, we will do what he commands. We will be obedient to what he says. That's how we demonstrate our love to him. Our love for God is not so much a feeling. Feelings are good, but it's being obedient to what he has called us to do. In the remainder of this section, I want us to look at three basic factors of financial freedom. We've looked at some of them and I'll just pop them together into these three groups. I want to look at giving, receiving and managing. Giving first of all then. We've looked at this and we looked at the grace of giving and everything pertaining to that. I just want to just bring it to a uh, summation really. Giving activates the work of God in our financial affairs. We start this off. It says in this, in Luke 6 and 38, he says, give and it will be given to you. God says, it doesn't start with me, it starts with you. Now you could say, but God gave me this to start with. Okay, we'll grant you that one. But he says, really, if you want to see blessing in your life, and we're talking about finances, the blessing in your life, you must start this whole process off by giving. And we looked at it last week, and some people give me a bit of a funny look, really. But to the proportion we give or sow is to the proportion we reap. It sounds, it doesn't sound right. It sounds a little bit mercenary, but it's not for us to challenge what God has said. He says, listen, if you're going to live by faith, the more you invest, the greater blessing that you will receive. That's the way that it works. Giving then begins with our offering to God. 
I want to establish this thought in your mind. When you're giving, you're not giving to a church or an organisation. Have in your mind you're giving this to God. Just as the, uh, those Old Testament saints came and they gave their money to uh, the priest, uh, it was, they, he represented God. They, were giving, they weren't giving it to the priest, they were giving it to God. No Christian can neglect giving. It's not worth it. It just isn't. We can't afford to neglect it. Remember that passage where uh, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he says, on the first day uh, of every week, he says, set uh, of each week, um, sorry, on the first day of each week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. This idea of consistently and regularly giving to the Lord becomes vital and important. If we give to God, then he will do something he will move on our behalf. We can go to the Old Testament and draw up that wonderful old passage that whenever people talk about money, they always lift up this passage, Malachi uh, 3 and 10, where he says, if you do this, if you give, I will throw open uh, the, the, the portals, the floodgates of heaven, and I'll pour out blessing that you can't contain it. Uh, let's not get hooked too much in that. Just see it as that's God's heart. As we give, he wants to give back in abundance. He is a God of blessing. He is a giver. When we come to the New Testament, Jesus says something slightly different. He says, when we give to him, we are investing our treasures in heaven. Hmm, have you thought that through? What that could really mean? To invest your treasures in heaven. Can I just put this suggestion to you? You might not have thought of it this way. I've called it the bank of heaven. So when I give to the Lord, I'm, I'm depositing, as it were, into the bank in heaven. When I go through a time of crisis or difficulty or financial pressure, I can draw on the bank in which I have invested. You say, oh, Philip, that sounds a bit mercenary again. I'm sorry. The Bible just treats the whole subject like this. So my heart is for the Lord. So I give to the Lord. And I know if I move through a crisis, because I have invested in the Lord, I have every confidence that he will open the floodgates of heaven. I don't want the floodgates open all the time. I just want it when I move through a crisis necessary or I, I go through a difficult time. And because I have given, then I have confidence when I go before God and say, God, I have this need. I have confidence that he's going to meet it. You see, if we never gave, we would never have confidence. We couldn't do it because we haven't done what scripture has required of us. Therefore, you could never pray with any faith or confidence that God would hear an answer. But if we've done what he says, it's not arrogance on our part, it's simply having confidence when we come before him. In this bank in heaven, it says, the money doesn't rot it doesn't decay, it doesn't get eaten by moths, it doesn't do any of these things, and thieves don't steal it. So it means it's always there. 
That which you have invested doesn't disappear. It's protected. No one steals it or takes it. Therefore, you can draw on it. The Word of God also says, when you give to the poor, it's like lending or investing your money with the Lord. And then, when it's necessary, it comes back to you. He meets every one of your needs. Through putting God first and constantly giving, when the needs arise, God opens channels to bless us. Well, I've been on this journey a long time. I said I enjoy speaking on this subject, so I better have some testimonies up the sleeve just to share with you. Otherwise, it's all theory. But I want to reassure you that if I, I've forgotten many of the times in which God has abundantly blessed me, I mean, I, the Holy Spirit can bring them to my remembrance, I know, but I just want to share a couple with you this evening. This goes back to October 2002, well, it's nearly 20 years ago now. Daphne and I, we closed down a particular ministry we were working with, and we shut this ministry down in, uh, I think it was the October of 2002. I had accepted a pastorate that would start in September of 2003. So we had this gap of 11 months. The previous ministry stopped giving me any sort of salary in 2002. This new ministry would not start supplying my needs until 2003. So we had an 11th month gap with absolutely zero income coming in. Some years previous, God had spoken to me about recording everything. I think I'd mentioned this before. Everything that was given and everything that I gave, not every penny, but generally speaking, at the end of a year, I could say, this is how much God has supplied and this is what we've been able to, to give out. So it was my habit to write things down like this. I knew at the start of this year, I had to write down. So here it is, the very paperwork from 2002. And I wrote down on this piece of paper, it ended up being three bits of paper, everything that came in, everything that God supplied, no salary, and yet every person or, or ministry or whoever gave it, how much they gave, the very date that they gave it, it's, it's all there. So no one can say, oh, we don't believe you, or can you prove that? This is what's interesting. The year before this year, where we were really looking to the Lord for provision, my income that year was 38,533. You could say that was the salary or the salary plus the monies that we received. The year after we were waiting on the Lord, it was 38,941. So I got a little bit more when I went back into the salary position. The question is, what did I get in the middle? How much did God give in the, between the, the, the year that I left and the year that I started the new? It was 40,929. It was two and a half thousand pound more that I received in either of these salaried positions before and after. See how good God is? Now, you say, well, it's all here. It's written down. Everything that God has done. What does God do? How does he do it? How does he get the money to you? God is the source of our supply. Uh, you might get a salary, 
but don't look to the people who pay you as the source. God is the source. They are simply a channel. You might lose your job. That means that channel closes. But God, because you have been faithful and consistent in your giving and you can come to him with confidence and you can put uh, a request into the, the bank of heaven, he opens up for us other channels. And so the channels start to open up and they start to flow. Here, I don't know how many channels they opened up. There are 70 different entries. So it means every month there was at least six different people supplying money to us. It came from all over the place, places where I didn't expect it. Places, it just, as God opened channels, you see, it started to flow and come in. And more uh, than what? So he opened the portals. He paid in abundance. He gave more than what we expected, and I got a nice 11 months off at the same time without any responsibilities or cares until we got to uh, September of the next year. God takes care of us. He takes care of us. He's faithful, he's true to his word. I'll just give another little example. I've shared it before, but it's always worth retelling a story. In our previous church uh, in Ealing, uh, we we took a building and we extended this building and we built a cafe on the side of it. This is going back now to 2009, 2010. We opened up this cafe, we opened it up to the public and we operated by the principle of buying and selling. We had the menu on the wall, you could have all these things and obviously there were coffees at a, a reduced rate because some of it, well, apart from Greg's, every other coffee shop is far too expensive, but Greg's, if you want to, a uh, reasonable cup, price cup of coffee, that's the best place to go if you go on a railway station. Um, so uh, we set it up, it was going, and I think the year prior to what I'm going to explain to you, our income was about £7,000. It wasn't a main thoroughfare, it was a little bit off the beaten track, so we weren't looking to make volumes of money. And so, so we decided, because God spoke to me very clearly, to stop buying and selling but operate by the principle of giving and receiving. So we took down this, the cost of everything, and we just decided we would start giving things away. We had a box under the counter. If people wanted to give donations, they could, and we'd just drop it in the box. But it wasn't on show, and nothing indicated give a donation, not at all. Of course, when people came in and ordered things and we told them it was free, they were really quite surprised. After one year of operating free by God's principle, we made 17,000 pounds. It jumped from seven to 17 as God took charge of it. Now, God spoke to us clearly. I'm not saying everyone with a business should give everything away. That's not what I'm saying. God has to speak and God spoke to us and we did what God said and he wanted to prove something to us prove how good he is, how faithful he is. And so all that came in. In Luke 18, 29 and 30, it says this, I tell you the truth. Remember whenever Jesus says, I tell you the truth, he says it because you're not going to believe it and you ought to listen carefully. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who ever left his home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Now you're saying, but is he talking about money? Oh, he most certainly is. 
This follows where he meets the rich young man and he tells him to give everything to the poor and come follow him. And Peter has this dialogue with Jesus saying, I don't understand how this works because he said a rich man struggles to get into heaven because the Jewish way of thinking was if you were rich, it is because you were living the right life and God was blessing you. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it works. But he says, with God, all things are possible. It goes on to say, Peter didn't understand a word that Jesus was talking about. And that's when he says about this. For the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the next. Jesus said, I'll bless you in this age where you'll need this money and there's blessing in the next. If you read the Matthew account, he says you will receive a hundred times as much do you know how much a hundred times is in percentage? It's 10,000%. That's a good interest rate in it. I mean, to reset, we get about 3% now if we're fortunate. 10,000% interest, he said, if you invest in the bank of heaven. I believe that to be true. So God is saying, trust me. Step out in faith on my word and I've got you covered. Don't worry. Now, we might step out, but how far will we go? Mmm, that's the question, isn't it? We all have a limitation to how far we would go, how much we would give. See, he says to the rich young man, you really want blessing? Because he said, how do I get into heaven? He says, see all that money you've got? Give it all away. He said he went away sad because he couldn't do it. He wanted he wanted what Jesus could offer him, but it was too much, you see. So we have a limit to what we could give away. I sometimes suggest to the groups when I teach on this, I think at least once in your life you should empty your bank balances and give it all away. <coughs> and I was like, could we do that? But of course, Jesus indicates that. More than once they gave it all away. We're to love, apparently, the Lord with all of our heart, with every fibre of our being. If we love him with every fibre of our being and he requested us to give everything we have, we would do it, wouldn't we? We couldn't, we couldn't not do it. If we really loved him in the way that he requires us to live it, our cars, our homes, everything, it's all yours, Lord. You take every part of it. Luke 10 and 27, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Giving then both indicates and increases our love for God. It indicates our love and it increases it. Matthew 6 and 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Giving, receiving then. In response to our giving, God opens up opportunities to receive provision directly or indirectly from his hand. We all love the directly stuff because it's, it, it speaks of the supernatural. It, it's of the miracle stuff. And, and we like to think of, you know, checks floating down from heaven or something so supernatural it had to be God. We, because God does that, he does, but he does natural things as well, like he will make sure that you can get a job and that you can keep that job 
And in that job, you're given promotion. You see, that's the blessing of God. You say, well, I would have got it anyway. No, you wouldn't have. You see, it's you know, a bit like Nebuchadnezzar. I got to this promoted permission, position because of my ability. And God says, oh, no, you didn't. You're very able, but I promoted you. Have you ever stood next to somebody or compared yourself with somebody and you say, I don't get this. They're no smarter than me. They're the same age as me. They, I work as hard as them, yet they seem to make money and I don't make money. What's wrong? There's nothing wrong. It's just the blessing of God on one life and less blessing on another. What is expected of the person that God has given all this money to anyway? And what is he expecting from you? It's always a danger to compare ourselves one with another because we're unique. We're made unique before God with a special purpose and a desire for us. And we just have to walk trusting that he's going to do this. Other ways that he could do it naturally, he, he provides the motivation to be resourceful. Some people are amazing, aren't they? We found out how resourceful people were in the war. They used a thing over and over again for half a dozen different principles because there was so little and yet they could become very resourceful. Every front garden turned into a cabbage patch, I believe. I don't know if that was true, but that was the idea. If you've got land, and, and so God can help us to be resourceful with what we have and multiply it and bless it to us. And also to conserve what we already have. Didn't he do that with the nation of Israel as they wandered through the desert? Their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out. Isn't that the blessing of God that you could buy one pair of shoes and walk around in it for 40 years? You say, Philip, you look like you do that already. That's not really fair. But, you know, men are very good at wearing their clothes out. I understand that, more like women who always a terrible sexist statement, but they generally like to buy more things. So being resourceful. And then he can prompt us at the right time to pray for um, specific things that he would provide, supernaturally provide for us. The precise thing at just the right moment. I need to share a few more testimonies with you on this one as well. God in his supernatural giving. Some years ago when we started off in ministry and God spoke to me about money, we had made a decision that we wouldn't borrow any more because uh, it was just so easy to put things on the credit card. There's nothing wrong with credit cards, nothing wrong with them at all. It's a means by which sometimes God can prosper us and bless us and encourage us to do it in the same way we could borrow money. God isn't opposed to that as well. Scripture talks very clearly about that. But God was talking to us about trusting him. So we had decided we would put our uh, credit cards away and simply trust him. Within a day or two of that, our car broke down. So we thought, we're going to trust God to take it to the garage. It also needed an MOT because it had to be repaired before it got its MOT. One week went past. Oh, you know, you couldn't drive the kids to school. You had to walk them to school, walk everywhere, walk, 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 you know, get on the bus, get on the train. It was just inconvenient with so many kids as well. So we waited two weeks. Three weeks, there's the credit card. It's so easy. We just get the card out and do it. What? No, we had made the decision we would leave it there. Four weeks, five weeks. 
In the fourth week, my sister-in-law rang me up. She said, I've heard about your predicament. She said, I can't give you the money because I haven't got it. But I'm praying that God will provide money that I can send to you. Within a few days of her telling her that, she got money through the front door. I think it came in cash in an envelope. She got 200 pounds. And so she said, I've got this. I said to God that, so she sent it to us. So I've got 200 pounds. I take my car to the garage to get it repaired and to get an MOT was how much? You got it. It was 200 pounds. So of course I pays the money, takes the car, does it. I'm sitting waiting because they're doing the MOT after everything. He comes through and he says, uh, Mr. Edwards, your car, and he gives the registration number. I said, yes. He said, I'm sorry, it's failed, the MOT. I don't know what got over me. I just got up and said, I said, that's impossible. That is impossible. You know, when I think back now, you just wouldn't talk to it because I knew, you see, because God had said he would supply that. I knew, I knew in my heart. So I said, I'm sorry, there's something wrong here. Oh, he said, oh, you know, and he, so he said, I'll go check. So he went back to the mechanic. I didn't see any of this. I'd waited there patiently. And 15 minutes later, he comes back. He said, no, I'm sorry, it's passed. And I said, what? How was that? Oh, he said, the mechanic that was doing your job, he looked at your wheel and it was something about the steering. And because there was movement, he came to the conclusion on other cars, it was faulty. But he said, with this car, with your car, there is supposed to be some movement. And he didn't know that. So he was admitting the fault of his mechanic. And he said, on the basis of he was wrong, you've passed and here's the certificate, and off you went. God's good. See, that's the supernatural provision of God. God knew exactly the amount of money and, and everything, and a boldness came over me when he said it was failed. I said, that's not right. <laughs> so, so was that one. Uh, just another one as well. Um, we went, Daphne and I, many times and took teams to different places, and we went to Sri Lanka quite a number of times. We would take maybe six or ten uh, people with us. Sometimes I would just go and do ministry trips and I had somebody working in Sri Lanka for me that would arrange all the ministry for me. It was never in the cities because I always had a heart to go out into the rural areas because no one goes in the rural areas. You don't get paid anything if you go into the rural areas. The poor people haven't got a penny. And so uh, this person who had a real heart for the rural areas, he would uh, plan mission trips for me while I go and do teaching amongst the people. Everything was arranged and uh, there were several hundreds coming to a two or three day conference. Now what it usually meant was I had to pay for some of them for their transportation to get there, then I had to feed them for the three days they were there and some of them I had to put up in accommodation as well. So it was quite an expensive thing to go on mission. I had some of the money to go, and when I say some of it, I mean several thousands of pounds, but I knew I needed another 2,000 pounds because the agent working there would tell me exactly how much I needed. I think it was the day before, and I was just saying, Lord, this is it. I'll go, and I'll just say to the, my agent there, I haven't got it. God hasn't provided it, so we just cancel that which is an awful thing because these people don't get anything. It's like special for them. 
So the day before I went, we went down to the mailbox, it was down outside, opened it up and there was just one letter. I love those letters where it's written on with a pen, aren't they? They're much more exciting than the printed ones. Anyway, so I opened this up and there was a cheque in it for £2,000. But what was so amazing, there was nothing written, simply the cheque, but I knew who it was obviously by the signature of the person. This person was also in ministry and about a f two or three months previously, we had fallen out. He had treated somebody, I thought, rather shamefully and I had strong words with him and I told him exactly what I thought and what he had done to this person. And we hadn't spoken for about three months. And of all the people that sent me this money, it was him. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that it would be him. We know, and we've got together since and we've spoken about things and we've fallen out since and they come and fallen out again, I think, if I remember rightly. He's, he's a bit of a strong-willed person, you know. And uh, Anyway, but to get the money from him was amazing, that God would have spoken to his heart and he just sent the money. I don't think he sent it to, to make amends or anything. There was no note written in it at all. To the degree that we give is to the degree that we receive. Not so much the money we give, because some are not in a position to give money. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Then they gave themselves to us and they knew the blessing of God in their lives. It is the giving of ourselves that then the blessing of God comes. We limit God, I do believe, by how much we give. Give of ourselves, give of every fibre of our being to God and everything. We limit him, but as we give, then in faith we receive. It says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. In 2 Corinthians 9 and 6, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's not about the money so much, you give everything. If you've only got a little, you only give a little, that's all you've got. The widow, she wasn't like the rich young man, she just had these two copper coins that seemed to be worth next to nothing, but she gave everything she had. That's the point, she gave her for everything she had. So there was no limit to God then uh, meeting her. The finally, uh, the third little uh, area I've got here is in managing. Our once a week giving to God, uh, if we do this, what it does, uh, it's a powerful reminder of the fact that we are stewards and not owners of what God has entrusted to us. We become stewards. If we are his, then everything he gives us is that we would steward it for his good and for his glory. Whether we like it or not, we're accountable to God for everything. Every hour that you spent today is accountable to God. Whatever you did. Now, God isn't mean and wants to work you to death every minute of every day, but our, our, everything we have is accountable. Each hour of our day, each pound that we have, and we don't have to get paranoid about it, but it's, it's, we have to give an account why did we spend all this on this or all this on me 
and give him so little. We have to give an account for that. The gifts that he's invested in us, we're accountable. If I have a gift to teach, I must keep teaching until I can't teach anymore. And that's it. And then I have to stop. But I'm accountable for the gift that God has given me in the same way that you are. And the truth that we know, we're accountable for that. Once you sit here and you learn something, you become accountable for that truth. You go, well, all right, I won't come anymore then, then I'll play it safe, okay? No, it's not the answer. We, we want to learn more so we understand him and we, we live accountable to it. We'd be foolish not to pray carefully about where we spend our money. We'd be foolish not to do that. Every financial decision must be in harmony with the principles of Scripture. Like I said, God isn't mean. He's not a killjoy. He's a God of abundance and blessing. And he wants us to be successful and to enjoy our lives. But as stewards, where we consider everything is his, we are wise as stewards. He has the story of the talents and the meaners, doesn't he? And he calls one man lazy. Lazy, he says. And another man, he says, how pleased he is with him and he can enter into his kingdom. They challenge us, those passages. Okay, so we'll stop there and then after the break we'll come back and um, we'll have a look at a few more principles. Thank you. I started this evening by saying that there were a number of uh, spiritual principles that we need to keep in our mind uh, as we look to God to supply all of our need, as we uh, seek to manage our finances. So I want to bring these principles now to your attention. If we choose not to live by them, it will affect uh, the blessing of God in, in financially supplying our needs. The first one I want to bring your attention is that of uh, self-acceptance. A person who rejects the way that he is or the way that God has made him, he will experience feelings of inferiority. He's not good enough. He's somehow others uh, are more perfect than him, more right than him. He, he rejects himself. A person like that will compensate for that feeling. It just, he will buy things perhaps that he doesn't need, he doesn't want, to make himself look better or to feel better about himself or to think people will feel better of him. Maybe buy a very expensive car really that he hasn't got the money to buy just so that people will appreciate him. We've got to learn to accept that God has made us and accept what he has made in making us. I found this verse, this is a, an interesting verse. I don't know if you remember even reading it. It's in Isaiah 45, verses 9 and 10. He says, Woe to you who fight your maker. You're a pot at odds with the potter, he says. Does the clay talk back to the potter? What are you doing? What clumsy fingers? Now, I like this bit. Would a sperm say to a father, who gave you permission to use me to make a baby? Or a fetus to a mother, who have you cooped up in, what, sorry, 
why have you cooped me up in this belly? I mean, have you ever read that before in your Bible? I've never read that verse before. It's there. It's being checked out now by some students there. Okay, Isaiah 45, 9 and 10. We just have to be accepting the way that God has made us. It's not our place to argue with the potter, the one who has created and made us. And if we accept ourselves, we'll be at peace with ourselves and where we are in life. The second principle is that of our response to authority. It's natural to want to be independent. It's not a bad thing, uh, being able to stand on our own feet. There's an element of that's important to us. We're not just dependent on everyone all the time. And we're, we're trained to be uh, independent to ourselves. However, God emphasises the importance. We need to learn to submit to those who have been placed over us or, or in a place of authority over us. God will honour those who respect those who have authority over them, he says in scripture. And if we respect those who have authority over us, there is a promise in that. Let me remind you what he says in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 to children. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. They have authority over you. For this is the right. Honour your father and mother which is the first command with promise that it may go well with you. The idea that if a child doesn't honour and respect his parents, it won't go well. And one of the ways it won't go well could well be in this financial area. That very verse about honouring your mother and father, the idea when it was written in the original, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, was that the child would look after financially their parents. Definitely, because when Jesus uh, talks in the New Testament, he challenges the Pharisees. Uh, that word has slipped me now. Um, uh, the word has to do with the money that's set aside to look after the parents. Uh, it's got a Jewish word to it. No, they're good English words. Um, oh. The idea of the argument is, he says, you Pharisees are teaching the Jewish people that if there is money that is supposed to be for looking after the parents, uh, but you have taken it and you've given it to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees have said that's all right. Uh, that word just slips me at the moment. Um, I'm sure it'll pop back when I'm about a page more down my notes here. Um, no, anyway, so the idea is if we're not honouring our, our parents with the money that we have, it won't go well for us. Ephesians 6, 5 and 8. Employees, he says, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. So in the workplace, we're to obey our bosses as though they were Christ, it says. And it goes on as we read on through. It says, the Lord will reward you for doing good. So the idea of recognising authority and submitting to it will always prosper us if we do that. Ephesians 5 and 22. And wives, it says, respect your husbands and submit to them. You will then be radiant without stain or wrinkle. 
the idea in the husband and wife relationship, if there is that submission, that respect for the husband, it will only result in blessing for the wife. Mark 12 and 33. This is how we're to honour and respect the Lord, it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. He said to the, the teachers of the law, if you live like this, he said, you're near the kingdom of God. So there is blessing when we honour those who have respect or show them respect, those who have authority over us. If not, we miss out on the blessing of God. The third principle I have for you is that of her having a clear conscience. Lack of a clear conscience in one area will give you incentive to lower God's standards in other areas. Hmm, to think about that. Once we lower one standard, we'll find that we'll lower them all. We must maintain a clear conscience before God on everything. Compromise will shipwreck our faith, it says. Took into Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. Fight the good fight, he said. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. It's important we have a good conscience. We don't allow ourselves to slip into sin and somehow think it's all right because we will slip then in other areas of our life. The next principle we must live by is that of having a forgiving spirit. One who has a forgiving spirit is conscious of the great debt they owe to God. They will willingly they're willing to release others uh, from the debt which is owed to them. Have you lent money to people and they're struggling uh, to pay it back? Sometimes you just have to say, do I need to just release them of that pressure that's on them and, and let it go? We should always lend with the principle, we've given it. You don't have to say you've given it, but in your own mind and understanding, it's best if you, in, you have a sense, I've given this. If it comes back, and I've, I've given it on the loan property, if it comes back, so much the better. But if not, it's absolutely fine. We'll just leave it like that. However, if we haven't got a forgiving spirit, we, we become bitter and unforgiving. We'll find that it adversely affects all the business that we do financially and it will cause us to be sick as well in our bodies. So this idea of being forgiving with money, uh, not harbouring bitterness against people, it's really important. Hebrews 12 and 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. Learn to be forgiving. The next one is that of yielding rights. One who yields his rights to God is a meek person. You could do it, but you choose to allow God to direct you in the matters of life. This is important because there are many things we think we can just get on and do, but really we need to submit always to say, Lord, is this the way I am to progress? Is this what you want me to do. It is that idea of we have the power to do something, 
but we choose to be meek. We choose to be directed with him. And God's promises the meek will inherit the earth. Those who allow the Lord to direct their lives. Psalms 25 and 9 says, He guides the humble in what is right and he teaches them his ways. Next one I've got is that of moral freedom. In the scriptures, it applies to the immorality of a man, but really in our Western culture today, this could be equally replied to both men and women. A man or woman who violates God's moral laws will become prey to immoral people and they will bring them to poverty. Proverbs 5, 8 and 10. Keep to the path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to the one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enriches another man's house. Keep yourself back from moral sin, he says, because it'll, it'll trap you. And there are people who are only too keen to pull you in and then draw everything from you. The last one, because when you get to seven, that is the final number, isn't it? This last one, life's purpose. When a person commits themselves to God's purpose for their lives, you commit yourself to what God wants you to do in your life. This is a principle. They have the clearest basis for making wise financial decisions. If you know your direction and what it is you're seeking to do in life and your purpose are the purposes of God, the decisions you make with your money will fall into line with these purposes and you'll make very few mistakes. They know which purposes or which purchases will assist them in reaching their goal and which will not. Seek first, he says, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You will know what to purchase. You will know how much to spend on what you want to purchase because you're clear in the direction of where you're going in life. Your purpose is clear. What is your purpose in life? What is the direction in which you're going? It is to be Christ-like. That's our goal in life, to grow into him. And whatever decisions we make about that, the vision that we have to do it, the, the definite intention to be there, it will determine what we will spend our money on. Are you financially free? Just got a few things to finish off here. It's a checklist to see if you're financially free. You want to know at the end of this that you are or you're not. Okay, number one. Do you feel secure? Or do you have a sense of insecurity in your life? Are you building your life around a person or a position or possessions? Are you building your life around God, because what God will do, he will remove these things from you and then you'll feel awfully insecure. We must never build around possessions, around persons or around a position, because life, God is such, he will remove it from our lives. Why? Because he is so jealous for us.
So what are you feeling is your security? Fear. Fear occurs as we become aware of all the possible ways in which we could lose all our cherished possessions. Fear. The fear that you would lose it all. One day it will all be taken away from you. Anxiety. The physical and emotional tension which results when we think about financial problems. Do you worry about finances? Whether you'll have enough? Enough when you get old? Whether your pet pension will be enough? Or how you'll pay all your bills? All these things, this anxiety, this insecurity, these fears, there's a sign in which we're not financially free. Financially freedom means we can trust God with all of this. We're investing in the bank of heaven. We are free to operate. It doesn't mean you have lots of money. You're free, though. You can trust God every step of the way. Another sign is that we have loss of sleep. Worry from financial cares becomes greater at night and removes peaceful rest. Ungratefulness. Are you grateful for what you have, for what people give you, for what God gives you? Financial cares decrease our ability to appreciate and enjoy the many benefits God and others provide for us. Ungratefulness is an awful thing, isn't it? You give somebody something and they can't even manage to say thank you. But does that then equate to how they are before God? And life generally, they're not grateful for what God has done. God blesses us with so much. We always need to be grateful of what we have. We could always look and say, well, he's got more than me. But that's just ungratefulness. No good. Another one is enslavement. Money and possessions have built-in demands for protection and maintenance. And sometimes I'm very glad I've got no money or very little of it because I don't have to worry about its maintenance maintaining it or protecting it. So I understand when he said it's hard for a rich man uh, to enter because he has all these concerns about all this money. It's so difficult for him uh, to to deal with it. And yet we can deal with it, or those that have money can. They just need to look to God. See, having expensive things, you you become a slave to the thing. Uh, Is it secure enough? Is it safe enough? What if it's stolen? Have you insured it for enough? All of these things. So this thing actually in the end starts possessing you. You don't possess it, it possesses you. Another one is envy. Envy is the desire to have what someone else has. It is a byproduct of comparison. It robs us of the ability to enjoy what God has given us. Sometimes I look around, you know, uh, where we live and think, oh, this is a small flat, you know, and uh, would it be nice to have this or nice to have that? Or I've got this car and I've always seen, my car's always 10 years old. It's amazing, isn't it? It's always 10 years old. So, and I think, oh, nice to have this car or that car. But in the end, I'm grateful for what I have. Uh, Sometimes I go in, people, uh, I was traveling in a car this week with a man and uh, he was saying, oh, I just put it on the, uh, you know, to find out what the car cost, £18,000. And I thought, oh, that's very nice. It looks like it's worth 18000 I don't know. But he's worried because um, it doesn't run like it should. And so, he, you know what I mean? It's like, 
I don't expect mine to run like it should. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a concern. But you see how money can uh, possess us. And so I sit in this car and thinking, I'm glad I haven't got this car because it would bring me the headaches. If I had spent that much on a car and it didn't work, I would become angry that it didn't work having spent all this money on it. But if you spend so little, you're thinking, oh, well, it's about to go wrong. You know, so just all of these things, if we're not careful money, it's like a spirit that ends up controlling us in lots of different ways and, and we're not free to just enjoy things as they are. Bitterness, evidence that we love money more than God. It is God who allows our possessions to be taken or destroyed so that he can build the character of Christ in our lives. He did this with Job, didn't he? He did it to prove a point. He was not questioning Job's character, but he did it to prove a point to Satan of how, how steadfast this man's character was, how alive he was to God and how he trusted him. And yet God took everything away from him. Even his own family were taken. He was left with nothing. And so God has the liberty to do that either to correct us or to prove a point or, or to develop us in some way to build character. The last one I've got here is disillusionment. When we attempt to use money to fulfill our dreams, we discover it only brings temporary pleasure and unseen disappointments. There's nothing wrong with a bucket list, but when you've done everything on your bucket list, that's it. It doesn't bring lasting pleasure. You'll enjoy it for the season. Like everything in the world is here for us to enjoy and God wants us to have bucket lists and to enjoy stuff in this world. But don't think that I, when I do this, this will make the big crown indifference in your life. That's just not true. There's only one thing that brings a big crown indifference in our life and his name is Jesus. And uh, there we are. So I hope that's helped you and uh, uh, put you on the right path if you're on the wrong one or reinforce some of your thinking and, uh, and release some of you uh, in this area. God bless you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Arise Bible Academy podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. And please remember to head on over to ariseministry.org.uk if you would like to partner with us by making a secure online donation. You can also now follow us on social media at Arise Ministry UK. Arise Ministry, a living legacy.